right. That's right. Clap your hands. We had a great vacation Bible school. I've been doing Bible school all my whole life. And, uh, and that was one of the most fun Bible schools we ever had. Let me tell you how you know when a Bible school is going to be successful is when you have about 110 kids at Bible school and you have almost 100 workers. That makes for a good Bible school. So thank you for bringing your kids to Vacation Bible School. And for all of you students, y'all are a big help too. And adults, thank you so much for coming and helping. And, uh, and, and everything that happens, ministry costs money. It's just the way it is. Everything we do is a product of you all being good stewards and giving to the church, allowing us to do what it takes to, uh, to help people know Jesus and to help people know Jesus more. And, uh, and so that... You saw those inflatables, we rented those. You saw Kona Ice up there, rented that to come in, all that stuff. But that big grassy field, that wasn't rented, that's ours. And so it's a product of people giving. And if you haven't seen our soccer field or our sport field, that's it. All right, pretty cool, huh? So uh, God's doing great things here. And to help us keep moving in the right direction, uh, we're going to see what God's Word has to say about living this life. Now, let me just tell you, um, sometimes after vacation Bible school, people say, how many people got saved? Uh, at Bible school. Well, we never really know who's saved. I don't know if you're saved. You, you know, you could be saved. You could tell me you're saved. You could be lost. I don't know. But th- this year, Kelsey had this idea to do things a little differently, and I think it's really cool. Uh, during the, uh, on the Thursday night, which is evangelism night, uh, she had come up with this questionnaire for the kids that just basically, basically said, hey, where are you with Jesus? Do you know Jesus personally? Have you asked him into your life? Uh, would you like to know Jesus personally? Would you like to ask him into your life? Uh, have you been baptized if you've asked Jesus into your heart? That kind of thing. But rather than just uh, blanket coverage to everybody all at one time and say, hey, if you want to get saved today, raise your hand. Uh, She didn't do it that way. And it was really cool because we had so many workers. Each worker uh, kind of kneeled down during snack time, and they had three or four or five kids. And they went through those questionnaires with with those kids one by one. Really sweet. I wish I would have had a picture of it, but I didn't get one. It was just, it was just beautiful. It was just like intimate, you know, and personal. And so uh, they filled out these cards, and then Kelsey and her team will be reaching out to the parents and say, hey, you know, your child made this decision or your child expressed interest in this. Well, this morning, just now, when I was getting ready to come back here to, to get ready, uh, Kelsey cornered me. She said, hey, hey, she's all excited. She said, a uh, little girl got saved last night. I'd say a little girl. I think it's a little boy. Got saved last night, and so it's already started. So how many people got saved? God knows, and uh, they're on the way. Amen? That's why we do what we do. And then uh, the last thing about Bible school, uh, you might have noticed Caleb, our worship leader, he had this groovy little move going. I don't know if he picked it up at the disco, what that was, uh, Cotton Eye Joe, what that was, but you need to incorporate it in your worship, you know? So uh, that's the only thing around here. You will get caught uh, on video. And then now there's a record of it, okay? So be careful. Now, we're in a series called Exodus on the Move. If you've got a Bible, open your, book, your Bible to the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible. And we're in a mini-series within this series called Exodus on the Move called the Ten Commandments. And I didn't know it, but we're now in a mini-mini-series, three, three weeks on um, sex through a bi- biblical lens. And uh, people listen really well when, I, when the preacher just says the word sex, you know, so it just is what it is, okay? Now, we're learning the Ten Commandments. I'm trying to help you know them. So number one, there's only one God, okay, no others. Two, two's too many, never bow to another God. Number three, the Father, Son, Spirit, watch what you say about them. Uh, number four, the lower case, uh, the letter R in sign language, remember your rest. Remember the, sa- the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number five, salute, honor your father and your mother. Number six, thou shalt not commit murder, okay? And number seven, that's where we are. Here it is, you ready? Sex is for a man and woman who are married and not all this other stuff. Okay, now you know, 
Now you know. Now we're, we're unpacking the idea of sex through a biblical lens. And, and last week we started this message. Now, why is this such a, why is this such a big deal, okay? And why does the preacher need to preach on this for three weeks? Because it's a really big deal. Let me tell you how big the deal of a deal it is. Just last night, one of our, our families took their, uh, their young person and some friends to, uh, to see a movie. No big deal. I'm going to go see a movie with my boys, right? It was his son's birthday. brought his friends. It's all good. So they go to see the Transformers. I'm sure it's good. Anybody seen Transformers? Okay. It sounded like it's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I'm sure it is. They do really good. I mean, but here's the deal. They went to see Transformers, and before the movie started, they're just sitting there minding their own business, and before the movie started, they have LGBTQ announcements. You know, you got to get that in. So they had some girls, uh, some girls on there, ah, celebrating LGBTQ, you know, and the son was sitting with his, with his boys down there, and, and the mom and dad were sitting up behind him, and as soon as he did, he looked around like, are you seeing this? <laughs> you know, did you bring us to this, mom and dad? You know. And he's got a bunch of friends from his Christian school. So it's just a big lose, you know, for the, for the dad and mom. Well, then a few minutes later, now the men folk of the LGBTQ, they got to make their announcement and they come out there celebrating their business. And, and so he says, man, I didn't know what to do. You know, I, do you load up and go to the house? I said, no, 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 they're going to be exposed to alternative views and ideas than the standard for living, which is the Bible. And so in that context, you just have to seize the moment. You have to make the most of it. So when you get them in the car, you say, okay, just for the record, from the moment we walked into that theater to the moment we walked out, everything was fake except the popcorn, okay? All right? Transformers, you know those are not real. And they do really good, man. They make them, I don't know how they do that. They make it look real. But the LGBTQ and the Transformers, all that is artificial and it's a movie, okay? And if you teach them that way, then they will learn. So when they're exposed to alternative views, then they'll be ready for it. And that's why we're teaching this mini-series inside the mini-series, inside the series, okay? And so with that, we're talking sex through a biblical lens, part two, commandment number seven. Five words, it's relatively simple. I will say this, I didn't tell you this last week. In the 1600s, a printing company, we're gonna print X number of King James Bibles uh, for, to sell. And they produced thousands of them. And all of them, with the exception of a few, which are now in museums, were burned. And the owners of the printing uh, company went to jail because out of 31,103 verses in the Bible, they printed this one wrong. So rather than saying, thou shalt not commit adultery, the evil Bible, which it was called, said, thou shalt commit adultery. Need to say it was a big seller, you know? And so, so it's a big deal. The, the devil hates this message, this mini series inside the mini series inside the series. He hates you knowing the truth. He hates me talking about the truth. And so, therefore, we're going to talk about the truth. Exodus 20, verse 14 You shall not commit adultery. Five words, not rocket science, but it seems kind of a, a just a, kind of a broad stroke. Jesus dials in and says, yeah, I, came, I didn't come to abolish. I came to amplify or fulfill or to, to help you know the rest of the story. And so he says in Matthew 5, 28, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He amplifies it. He, 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 he helps us realize all of us have committed adultery at some level. All of us, anybody that's an adult, we've all done it at some level. 
Now, sexual sin reaches up toward God. That's why it's a big deal. Sexual sin reaches over to our spouse or our future spouse. That's a big deal. Sexual sin devastates downward to our children and our future children or grandchildren. And it disappoints out to our family and friends. It's just true. All sexual sin. Somebody caught in pornography, somebody caught in adultery, somebody caught, whatever flavor it is, all of it reaches out and up and around into our world. It has a greater impact. Now, we talked about last week, just, just in case you weren't here, and I, I'll be brief, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when God speaks of immorality and sexual sin, he includes it among a, a group of people that you don't want to be affiliated with. You don't want to be in this circle, and here's what he says about it. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. He says, listen, the following people will not go to heaven, okay? It's pretty hard. Now he's going to tell us what groups of people don't make the cut. He says, fornicators, that's a sexual sin. He says, idolaters. He says, adulterers, sexual sin. Effeminate sexual sin, homosexuals, sexual sin, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God, okay? Now, that's hard because you're thinking, you know, man, that's, I've been guilty of some of that stuff even recently, maybe. Does that mean I'm not going to heaven? I thought I was a Christian. Okay, you can be lost and commit a sin. You can be saved and commit a sin. The difference is the lost person who commits sin, their sin is always, they have to, they'll be judged for their own sin rather than allowing Jesus to be judged for their sin. So somebody who receives Jesus in their life, they're not judged for their sin, their judgment, their condemnation is on Jesus. But somebody who is saved and still lives in those sins, you'll be disciplined. God will discipline you as a child. That's what we talked about last week. Now, I want you to know, when, we did, when, I, when I told you about the theater with the LGBTQ, I, I don't hate those people. Okay, I love those people. It's like I love you. We're required to love all people. We're to love, love our enemies, that the scripture tells us. Jesus loved all of his enemies. Jesus loved you, one of his enemies who committed sin, enough to die on a cross, hang there and bleed to death to pay for your sin debt. It's a big deal, right? And we love people who sin because we love each other. Listen to me. Even though you're saved, you're right here on Sunday morning. You're in a good place, but you still commit sin. There's sins of commission, things you do that you should not do. Sins of omission, things that you should have done that you did not do, okay? So we all have sin in our life and we love each other. And even if someone is lost, separated from God, never received Jesus, living one of these lifestyles who will never inherit the kingdom of God, we still love them. And we speak the truth in love. Now, I want to tell you something. You can have a conversation of difference, various views. You can say, well, I want to talk about the sovereignty of God. You can have a conversation about that. You say, well, I want to talk about, you know, uh, any, any capital punishment, anything in the Bible. And for the most part, you can have somewhat of a civilized conversation, even though you differ in your viewpoints. But when it comes to sexual sin, good luck. You see... They don't want to hear, and they want you to totally embrace what they say. So it does not mean we stop talking. It means we understand well what Scripture says. It means we tether ourselves to this standard for living and not the world's standard for living. And listen, it means we speak the truth in love. The greatest form of showing a group of people or a class, a Sin, a sin proclivity that we hate it is to not speak the truth 
And so we have to speak the truth to our children, to our friends, to our neighbors, because they're screaming their view. So it's our job to tell the truth. Now in scripture, he didn't stop where I left off. He goes on and he points to this reality that Jesus wants to redeem all of that stuff. His goal is for you to be a child of God in Jesus, to be headed to heaven when you die, to have your sins forgiven. And he says this, and he goes on and he says, after he said, these will not inherit the kingdom of of God, he says, such were some of you. He points to the fact that people can be delivered from all of that stuff. Did you see that? There is deliverance from every sin. Sin is not something that has the power to hold you captive forever. Jesus liberates you and sets you free from any sin the devil brings into your life. I want you to know that. He says, but such were some of you, but, conjunction, transition, but something happened. He says, but you were washed. And he says, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. Listen, he says, he says, but were, but something happened. That's who you were, but now you are something different. The problem is we live in a world where we're not so sure if we were past tense or if we still are present tense because we've stopped pursuing holiness and we have merged our view, our standard into looking something like the Bible and something like the world. And so we find these places where we say, I'm just not sure about anything anymore. Listen, you can be real sure. When you learn and tether yourself to the word of God as your standard for life. Now, Scripture is going to help us understand that as we look at this topic. We saw last week we defined biblical sex and its origin. We debunked the lies, some of them, about biblical sex. Number three today on the back of your life guide is developing a biblical view of sex. Developing a biblical view of sex. It begins when we determine what standard or litmus we will, we will measure biblical sex with or according to. And so we, we, can, we can have a standard which is called God's word, or we can have a standard that says it's whatever the world says. Now the difference is this standard 3,500 years ago is still true today. The world standard, it's a moving target. In fact, even in the LGBTQIA plus alphabet soup group, there's, there's people they don't even want in their group anymore. They're like, no, this group was for us. You know, oh, y'all are a bunch of weirdos. We don't want you in our group. You're not, you know, even in their group, they can't even establish a solid standard. Meanwhile, God in his infinite sovereign wisdom says, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you've looked at somebody with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery in your heart. There it is. He makes it very simple. And so the world completely denies God's demand and God's design for sexuality. It has since the Garden of Eden. You see, when you read the Bible and God says, Adam and Eve, I'm gonna marry you all for this reason. A man will leave his, leave his mother and his father and be one flesh with his wife. <clears throat> I'm gonna start this thing and this is what biblical sex looks like. A man and a woman who are married Everything post that, 
Everything after the fall, every idea, sexual idea, every sexual persuasion, every variety or, or creation of sexuality, all of it is considered immorality. It's that, it really is that simple. Now, we don't have to live by that. We can make our own rules, but that's what God says about it. Now, the reason we can hold on to this standard is this. It's real simple. Scripture tells us that God is love and God is truth, right? That's Scripture. Scripture says the devil is a liar. And when he speaks any word, he speaks his native language, which I'll call lie-ease, okay? That's what he, that's, that's lie-ish. That's what he speaks, okay? And so we have two options. That's it. Choice A, choice B. Choice A is truth according to God who cannot tell a lie. Choice B, which is the world's way from the devil who can only tell the lie. It's not that hard. And so we have to make a choice. But the problem is we live in a world that, that merges the two together. We want some hybrid. Well, I like what God says about this. And for the most part, I align myself with this. But I like this part of what the world is screaming at me. And so I'm going to take a little bit of this into my life. And you can do that. We live in a free country. But at the end of the day, there's two, there's two standards. God's standard for biblical sex and the world's standard for biblical sex. Sex, according to God's standard, is acceptable between a man and a woman who are married. And every other union outside of that is a sin before God. It, it's, just that, it's just that's it, okay? The second standard is the world standard, which says sex is acceptable in any consensual arrangement and some non-consensual arrangements, and everyone must embrace this view or there will be consequences. You see, with God's view, there's consequences before God. And in the world's view or the world standard, there's consequences before man. So at the end of the day, you and I get to make our choice. Which standard will we live by? If I live according to God's standard, or I try to, then I'm going to have consequences in the world because I don't embrace the worldview. Or I'm going to live according to the world standard and have God's consequences. So the question is, which consequences would you prefer? Temporary world consequences or eternal God consequences? The, qu the, the decision gets really easy when we look at it that way, and it's true. It's true. Now, in the world we live in, I, I can assure you, what I'm saying to some of you, it's a foreign language. You've never heard it before. To others, you've heard it, but it's been a long time. You've thought it, but you hadn't had discussions like this. God is very clear about which standard we are supposed to live by. And so here in this room today, we have a question. We begin to think, okay, which standard do I believe is accurate? God's standard or the world's standard? Now, am I living according to the standard that I've selected. If I've chosen God's standard, am I living according to this standard? Or really, have I merged the two together? There is no merging of two standards. God's word, God's standard, the world's word and the world's standard, they do not play well with each other. They are in opposition to each other. Now, we live in America, the land of the free. And by all means, you can make any decision you want. Quite honestly, you can make... All, you can do almost anything you want to do without any consequences, right? I mean, <clears throat> most, most people, they don't, most, uh, 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 most offenders of the law don't pay penalties. I mean, they'll pay a, a bond and they'll get out, but very few penalties are administered in our world. <clears throat> so we're free to do what we want to do. 
But I want you to know every freedom that you have, every choice that you make comes with some level of consequence. It's just true. Now watch what, even in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 30, listen to what God said. He said in verse 19, today, this is God speaking, I invoke heaven and earth as witness against you that I, God, have set life and death, blessing and curse before you. He knew we were gonna live in a free country. He was liberating Israel. He said, you're gonna be in a free country. And he says, I'm, I'm setting before you, just like I did Adam and Eve, I'm setting before you life and death, my standard or the world's standard. I'm setting before you blessings or curses, God's blessing or the world's curses. He says, I'm putting those before you. We have volitional choice. We have free will. We make our own decisions. Now listen to what he says. Therefore, since I've placed them out there and I love you, he says, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. I also call you to love the Lord your God, to obey him, to be loyal to him, for he gives you life and enables you to live continually in the land that the Lord promised to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, that seems like a no-brainer, okay? You got life and blessing. You got death and cursing. And you got God's standard and the world's standard. It seems like it's a pretty easy choice, but it's not. It's not we fail every day in some area or another. Why is that? Let me just tell you something about the one who presents the curses and the death to you. His name is Satan, and he's really not that good. It's just that he's been doing it a long time. He's, he's been practicing deception a whole lot longer than you have discerning deception. You get that? He's a fraud for a long time. He's not new. His tricks are not new, but he's really, really good at administering his tricks and his evil schemes. Now, the problem is that we live in this free culture and this, even this free spiritual world to choose which standard we're gonna live by. But now listen, here's the problem. What we do is we choose not to listen to God's standard, his word. We listen to the world's standard and we do what the world says is acceptable and good. Listen, and then there are consequences and then we wanna blame God. We've lost our mind. Listen, if you wanna live like the devil, live like the devil, you are free to do so, but don't stink and blame God when things flip upside down on your head. It's not God's choice, it is your choice to do what you do. So to develop our view of sex through a biblical lens, we can either listen to God's, we, we can listen to God's word or we can choose the words of the world and it's one or the other. It's not both, it's just not both. Okay, I wanna be real clear about that. It's one or the other. You can live according to God's standard and be blessed. You can live according to the world's standard and be cursed. And if you're living according to the world's standard in an area of your life, you're not living according to God's standard. So you're not in the blessing of God. You are in the curses of God. I don't wanna be there. And, and, and we play into that so well. And it's been that way since the beginning of time. Now, I'm preaching this message in love, right? And you've got friends in your circle who live according to God's standard on one day, the world's standard on another day. 
you need to shine light in their life. You see, the Bible says we're to be bearers of salt and we're to be bearers of light. We're to share the truth in love. We're required to. God is love. When God came into my life, the love of God came into my life. I love everybody in here, some of y'all more than others. I got people in my life that flesh don't want to love, don't want to like, wants to just hate on them just a little bit. I've got to love them. I'm required to love them. Some people, you got to love at a distance. It doesn't mean you subject yourself to them, but you have to love them. And so what is the greatest form of demonstrating we have no love for someone than to not speak the truth in their life? If someone is living a life that will send them into judgment and the consequences of, of uh, curses because of disobedience to the standard, and we don't tell them the truth, that's not love. And you say, well, I've tried. They didn't listen. You're not held respon- you are not held responsible for the results of you sharing the truth in love. You are responsible for sharing the truth in love. What they do with it is between them and God. And it's why I preach these messages, because I'm supposed to share the truth. Now, I want you to know that the reason when you, let's just say you have a, a, a friend who's struggling with their sexual identity, or maybe a friend who is saying, you know what, I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm gay. Or you have a friend and, and, and they say, you know, I'm, uh, I have this problem or that problem. And, and you think, okay, I'm going to help them. I'm going to share God's word. And when you tell them, they don't want to hear it. Has anybody ever had that conversation? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, we need to be having those conversations. They don't want to hear it. You know why they don't want to hear it? Because darkness hates the light. And that's not what the preacher says. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 19. He says, if you belonged to the world, the world would love you as its own. Why? Because misery loves company. Go on. It says, however, because you do not belong to the world, but I chose you out of the world for this reason, the world hates you. Sometimes the reason we don't feel the hate of the world is because we've merged. We've become a chameleon. We've got Christianity in our heart, but all on the outside, we've morphed and we're blending in with the world. So the world doesn't hate you because the world thinks you are part of them. Scripture says, be ye in the world, not of the world. It means we're to be here, but we're not supposed to change colors and look just like them. The only reason we're to be in the world is to impact the world with the light and the love of God, okay? Now, and the world needs that. The world needs it right now. So when we live according to this standard, I'm gonna warn you, maybe you've never really tried hard to live according to this standard. When this happens, you will feel alone. You will feel all alone. I remember, I've had this conversation with my brother Bob. We'd go to meetings, we, we were in sales for a season and everybody would be drinking like a lot. And then they would go to strip joints, you know, I didn't do that stuff. I didn't do either one of those things. And I remember, I, I wasn't judging them. I'd go to the meeting, you know, and they'd all be drinking. I'd, I'd be drinking something other than alcohol. And, and, and I've even driven them to the strip club because Jesus convicted my heart because I was the only sober one. But I remember feeling so alone. And they would make a big deal out of me being different, you know. And the whole time, part of me liked it. Part of me was like, made me, you know, grew me a spine. Like, yeah, that's the way I'm supposed to be. 
But part of me didn't really like being alone. I want you to know something. When you choose to tether yourself to this book and live according to this standard, you will never be alone. You may feel alone, but you have God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit with you, and you are never alone. And let me just tell you, there's no more powerful network of friends to hang with than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you will never, ever be alone. So last week, this is interesting, I found this out in preparation. Never noticed this. You all probably knew it. You should have shared it with me. We, sh we saw last week that God rings in about sexual purity and his design and his standard for sexuality. 55 verses into his 31,103 verses of the Bible. It's a big deal. 55 verses in, he says, listen, one man, one woman, come together, one flesh, procreation, pleasure, seal the deal in marriage, and, 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 and that's the purpose for it. And then he talks about it all through the Bible. And don't get me wrong, there's some messy stuff going on in the Bible. It's the beauty of knowing that God's word is God's word because he didn't leave out the bad stuff. He puts the ugly stuff in there with the good stuff. He's always working redemption in messy situations. And he talks about marriage. He talks about purity and holiness all through the Bible. What I had never seen is although the origin of sexuality shows up 50 verses in in the second chapter of the bookend Genesis on the left, sexuality closes in next to the last book of Revelation, the bookend on the right. He opens and closes the whole book with purity. And so here's a guy whose name is John. And John is the beloved disciple. I mean, I mean, he wrote that about himself. Oh, by the way, my name's John. Jesus loves me most. I mean, it's the same guy. He's writing the, the resurrection account. He says, I'm John. Out, run Peter to the grave. A little faster. He loves me more. I'm just the guy. And, and I, there's something to it because he gets to write a gospel. You didn't do that. So he is somewhat special. He wrote first, second, third John. That's pretty cool. But then he gets to write the whole future of mankind in the book of the Revelation, the apocalypse. It's cool, okay? It's something special. Now, he's on an island called Patmos, which is the Rock Island. He's in exile because he spoke the truth in a world that didn't want to hear it. So, so that's the reason he's there. God gives him the future, all of the future. And at, in next to the last chapter, 40 verses from the end of the 31,103 verses, John writes about purity. In Revelation 21, verse 8, he says, And the one seated on the throne said. Now, when the one seated on the throne, Jesus speaks. It's, you need to listen, right? He says, Look, I am making all things new. Then he said to me, Write it down because these words are reliable and true. Listen, everything in this book is God-breathed. The theonoustos, the breath of God. And he's... Everything he says, he intends for you <clears throat> to write it down because it is reliable and true. Now he goes on. So what, what is reliable and true? He goes on. He says, he, he also said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the one who is thirsty, I will give water free of charge from the spring of the water of life. 
And the one who conquers will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son, okay? So he starts out and he says, let me just tell you. You can write this down. This is good. He says, for the one who comes to me, I will give the water of life. He can drink freely. And you, you will spend eternity with me forever. I will make you an overcomer. You will be my son. I will be your God. We'll spend eternity together. But just like that verse in 1 Corinthians, he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 8, he says, but, there's another group of people. He says, as for the cowards. Now, when you look that word up, it implies people who were more fearful of the world than they were the truth of God. In other words, they rejected this standard and embraced the other standard. He says, unbelievers, detestable persons, murderers, and here it is, the sexually immoral. Now, we, we saw that last week. We defined that. Anything other than one man, one woman married in sexual relations, anything other than that is immoral. That's who he's talking about. And then he goes on, he says, and those who practice magic spells, idol worshipers, and all those who lie, listen to the, the end of the story for them. It says, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, and that is the second death. 40 verses before he closes out this book, 55 verses into opening this book, God rings in loud and clear about something that the world has gotten so confused about, and that's acceptable. They're in the darkness, but church, you need to walk in the light because you have met the light, and the light has come into your life. And so therefore, knowing the light, knowing the truth, embracing the standard to be saved, oh, that's good, never thought of that. If you're gonna embrace the standard that says you can be saved in Jesus, you need to embrace the standard that says now that you've been saved by Jesus, act like it. Amen? Amen. Now, so we've defined it, we've debunked some things, we've developed it, number four, we're going to now deploy a new strategy for God honoring sex. We're gonna deploy a new strategy because the strategy we're using is failing. So strategy number one is this, admit that the old strategy is wrong. And you know it's wrong. You just look around, it's all messed up, it's broken. And if it's broke, fix it. So. So no one really wants to be a failure. If I said in, in here, I said, hey, it's a good Sunday. Glad y'all are here. I got a great message. It's gonna be today's message on how to be a failure in your life. Aren't you excited? Who wants to be a failure? Let's get you fired up. Nobody's gonna say, yeah, nobody. Nobody wants to fail. Everybody wants to be successful. Everybody wants to succeed. Everybody wants to, to accomplish great things. There's nobody who sets their sights on failure, okay? And yet what we do, we implement a strategy for failure rather than success. We, we just accept failure. We, we implement a strategy, a strategy for defeat and not for success. So what does that sound like? It sounds like conversations like this. Well, I hear what the Bible says and I hear what you're saying, Brother Joel, but I can't help myself, man. I've tried. I, I don't wanna fail in that area, but I can't 
help myself. I don't, I don't really want to sin. I, I don't want to be guilty of sexual immorality, but I can't seem to find victory from it. After all, this is, where it, this is the next level. After we, after we voice that a little bit and we don't get a lot of pushback, we don't get a lot of light of the standard of truth in our life, we say, well, okay, nobody's, nobody's denying that. Nobody's denying that freedom for me. So I guess that means after all, uh, God made me the way I am. God gave me my sexuality too. So, so it's really not my fault. I was born this way. Yeah, that's it. I was, I was born this way. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the conversation. And next thing you know, this conversation that should have been squilched with some truth early on, it goes full circle and we go to the movies and they're advertising it before we watch the movie. And we pay to see the advertisement. That's what it looks like, okay? Now, our sin condition is what does that. I said it last week. People say, oh, I was born a homosexual, a homosexual. Sure you were. Well, I was born an alcoholic. Sure you were. I was born a crackhead. Sure you were. I was born this, sure, I was born to be, you know, 240 pounds. I don't weigh 240. I weigh 225. I was born to be 240. But I've been watching it. I'm 225. I was born this way, see? You can put poke on me for, you can poke on me, you know, to check. But I was born, I was born 225. Sure I was. I have a sin proclivity. <laughs> Cher sent me a picture from a restaurant. I used the word proclivity, and she took a picture of a bag of chips, and she said, proclivity. <laughs> and then she said, but now we're going to go to, uh, what's the name of that store? It's, it's a tool store. Harbor Freight. <laughs> she said, now we're going to Harbor Freight. Uh-uh. Harbor Freight is proclivity store, too. You go to, that's a man's store. I, I, think, I, need a, I need that. I need that crane. <laughs> you know, I got to have that. I'm going to change my motor. No, you're not, you know. So, so but we feel like we've got to have it. It's proclivities, okay, right? So we're born this way. We're born with this sin nature, okay? It's part of the fall. And your sin nature is different than my sin nature. Your DNA strand is different than mine. But we don't embrace it. You see, that's the difference. Jesus comes along. He says, I know all about your sin proclivity. I know about the flavor you like most because I knit you together in your mama's womb. I fashioned you and formed you with a plan and a purpose. And, and, and because of sin, there's parts of you that are going to be really persuaded to go in the wrong direction. But don't you embrace that. I died on a cross and bled every drop of my blood to set you free from all of that and make you a brand new creature from the inside out. You see, now we live in a world that doesn't want to do that. We live in a world that wants to hear that and love that idea, but then choose not to walk in that truth. When we yield to the power of sin, rather than to yield to the power of God over sin, we make a declaration that the devil is bigger than God. Every time I sin, maybe I don't tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me. God maybe I heard a story and before I know it I'm sharing it with somebody and I was not an eyewitness and that's gossip and that's a sin maybe I ate two pieces of pie instead of one because of my DNA chain 
No matter what I do, when I fail and commit a sin, I declare that the devil is bigger than God. And that's the problem. Because the devil is created. God is creator. Nothing created can ever take over the creator. So, at the end of the day, the same God who put everything in place to give you life, the same God who extends blessings in life and extends curses and death for you to choose, the same one who set you free to do that is the same God who is willing to love you when you mess it all up. I can't get over that. That the God of the universe, the one that said, into nothingness, he made everythingness. Into the darkness of the sky, he called out stars and gave them names and numbered them and told them where to hang out and told them how much to shine. And then he looks down and he says, you, my little friend, are a train wreck. And I love you so much, I'm going to get on a cross and die for you. Because I want you to be mine forever. And then we think about that kind of God. And then we play with this standard as if it's a buffet, take it or leave it. And then we look around in the world we live in. And it's all upside down and confused and you know it is. And we wonder why. And sometimes then we just blame God with it all. Let me just say this right now. My sin is never God's fault. I want you to say that with me. Say that. My sin is never God's fault. Now say this. It's all mine. Now you see, we live in a world that doesn't like that. We live in a world where everything is somebody else's fault, right? That's the world we live in. I'm not taking ownership for nothing, okay? I'm going to knock your wind out of your store, steal your TV set and your cash register, and it's because you owed me that. Okay? We've lost our minds because we, we don't want to take ownership. We have to take ownership of sin. And so that's the new strategy. The strategy to admit the old strategy is not working, and sin is a choice that I make. So Scripture weighs in on this, by the way. Here's what Scripture says in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. It says... Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. You can't say that. Let nobody, let nobody say that. That's what it says. And this is Jesus, uh, James, Jesus' half-brother, right? I mean, he knew Jesus. He ate out of the same cereal bowl. He, he's close. And he says, for God, he says, I, 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 let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. So the first thing we have to realize if we're going to adopt a new strategy in our life is, that, is to know where sin comes from, all of it, all sexual sin, all sin generally, all sin. Where does it come from? Well, let's begin by saying where he just said it doesn't come from, God. It never comes from God. Stop blaming God, okay? You were not, he, he, he did not cause you to sin. You caused you to sin. You say, well, that's a little hard. I didn't write it. James, Jesus' brother, wrote this. Here's what he says now in verse 14. He said, it didn't come from God, but he says, each one, each person, you, me, all of us, we are tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. 
Your sin is an inside job. It came from you. It didn't come from me. It didn't come from God. My sin came, it was an inside job. It came from me. And so we're born into this world, carnal, fleshly, ungodly, both spiritually and physically. And then one day we meet Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm doing a new work and I'm gonna make you a brand new creature creature, and all old things are passed away. That means when God looks at us now, he sees us through the lens of Jesus and his sacrifice and he sees us as a brand new creature and all the old stuff, it's been erased in the blood of Jesus. But we still battle. Paul said, why is it I do what I don't wanna do and what it is I, I want to do, I don't do that at all. Because there's a war that wages in all of us between flesh and spirit. And flesh has been being satisfied for a long time. And so the, so the spirit has to push back. It has to fight against flesh to be who everything that God made us to be. And so, so we are tempted when we are lured and enticed by our own desires. Now, temptations originate from our desires. It might be food. I, I, that's probably a weakness of mine. I don't care to own that. That's not God's fault. It's mine and my mama's because she's a good cook my whole life. I blame it on my mom. No, it's all mine. Number two, it may be material possessions. It may be fame. It could be gossip. It could be control. It could be mind-altering drugs. It could be alcohol, pornography, laziness, homosexuality, gender confusion, sexual relations outside of marriage. The spirit cries out that we're not supposed to be a part of that. The flesh is saying otherwise, but the spirit is saying, "Huh, uh we're new. We're new on the inside. We need to let what happened on the inside begin to permeate into the outside. Now, now how does all this work? How do these temptations get in front of us? Okay, we're familiar with a word called algorithms, right? In the technical world, we hear it now with social media and all that, in the political world, all they, they know they, they do these algorithms. Al, an algorithm, by the way, is a series of steps to accomplish a task, a series of steps to accomplish a task. And in, the, in your computer, there's an internet operating system. And on the internet, when you're online, there's algorithms. And what they're doing, they're watching your, your, uh, your tempo. They're watching the direction you like to head in. They're listening to your typed in phrases. They're, they're listening and watching your patterns for life. And, and the algorithms of the computer is designed to shortcut the system, a series of steps, a series of words and phrases to get you where you want to be sooner. Because the quicker they get you to where you need to be, the quicker that it can get somebody else where they need to be. It's the same with the devil. You see, the devil watches your patterns of life. He listens to key phrases in your life. He watches what you seem to enjoy much. And then he forms and fashions things in your life to draw you, to entice you, to satisfy the desire that's already in here. And that's how that works. Satan is an algorithmic guru. Okay, he and his minions, they watch. They know, they watch culture, they watch lives and, and they just put together a list of things of, of, that you and I can choose rather than choosing to obey the standard of God. Now, when a lure of deception is presented, the devil's been practicing that for a long time. But I want you to understand something today. Temptation is not a sin. 
Say that with me. Temptation is not a sin. I'll give you an example. Uh, several years ago, I was a young man, and I was traveling in Florida, and I pulled up to a traffic light, and I stopped, and I looked over. This was in South Florida. This is why Oscar moved out. There was a young lady there. She was pretty. She looked over. She, she looked right in my window. She smiled and waved at me. I said, oh, hey. And she was operating a food cart, a hot dog stand. She turned around. She's wearing a thong. Now, who wears a thong operating a hot dog stand? I'll tell you, the devil. That's who. Now, was that a temptation? If I'm a red, red-blooded American man, it is. And I am, so yes. Was it a sin? No. Now, when I turned in and smiled at her, got her name and ordered a hot dog, I'm getting real close. I didn't turn in. Some of y'all thought, I can't believe he stopped. He had to stop and get a hot dog from the thong girl, didn't he? No, I did not. I'm a, I was a married man, had two little girls. I did not stop. Okay. Was it a temptation? Sure it was. Was it a sin? Sure it was not. I want you to understand that. Sometimes if you're saved today, temptation comes into your life and you feel guilty just because of being tempted. Temptation is not a sin and you're not condemned. As a, as a child of God, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. Okay. God doesn't condemn you. You may condemn yourself. The enemy may condemn you. God doesn't condemn you when you're tempted. Even when you sin, there's no condemnation. Your condemnation was placed on Jesus 2,000 years ago. Temptation's not a sin. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is inaugurating his ministry. He's 30 years old, roughly, and he gets baptized. And, and, and it's a real cool picture. He goes under the water in the Jordan River, and when he comes up, the Trinity shows up. Jesus is in the water. God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. One of the few times the Trinity shows up all at the same time. The Bible says after he was baptized and his ministry began, he was led straightway into the wilderness to be tempted. While there, Satan himself tempted him with the three categories, categories of sin that all sin are in, lust of the flesh, uh, lust the, the eyes and the pride of life. And Jesus defeated all the temptation. I've always thought this was funny. To defeat temptation, if you want to know a cool lesson, Jesus defeated all three of the temptations before Satan himself by quoting Deuteronomy. That's it. Just put some scripture on him. He can't stand the truth because he is a lie. So James tells us in 3.15 the desire conceives then it gives birth to sin and when sin is full grown it gives birth to death and I thought about this 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 morning I've never I don't think I've ever thought about it before I think every sin we commit causes death to something someplace sometime for one when I sin today it contributes and I don't get it because God's outside the continuum of time. But I think when I sin today, somehow it impacts and influences the suffering that Jesus went through on the cross 2,000 years ago. My sin reaches back into the grief of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Because when he died on that cross, he was looking forward. He was dying for the sin of today too. But not only that, I think when we sin today, it causes, it impacts our own life. 
it brings some level of death into our life. And many of the sins we commit, it, it reaches out and causes death of something, maybe death of trust, maybe death of value of something. I don't know. I haven't unpacked all that. But Scripture says when sin is conceived, it gives birth to sin and then ultimately death. And I want you to know today, God is very serious about sin, and he's very serious about sexual sin. We saw it in Genesis. We saw it in Revelation. And we see it today. Now, I'm going to have to stop right there, and we're going to finish next time. And there's more that you need to hear. So right now, I want you to know this. As serious as God is about sin of all flavors and all varieties, you may be here today and you realize you feel, you just feel it weighing in on you like, I'm, I feel so guilty. You don't have to be guilty. I, I feel so much shame. You don't have to feel shame. Jesus paid for all of that. Jesus offers full, free redemption and forgiveness of all of our sin. He paid for it on a cross. If you're here today, one reason you may feel guilty and shameful is because you've never given your sinful, shameful self to the rightness of Jesus, God's son. You could do that today. You simply say, God, I realize now who I am before you, and it's a mess. I've been working at it, trying to make myself better, to come up short. So God, I want you to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. I want Jesus and his finished work to saturate my life, just to flood away all of my guilt, all of my sin, all of who I was. And I want your Holy Spirit to come in and take up residence and change me from the inside out. I want you to be my king, my Lord, my Savior, my Master, my God, from this day through all of eternity. And you can do that today. You can come down here in a few minutes while we're singing. You can bow here and you can pray. You can come, I'll stand right over here. You can come, I'll pray with you. You can write your name on the connection card and say, my name is this. And today I ask Jesus to come into my life. Help me know more about that. I will personally call you and help you with the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. And that's some of us that need to do that today. But there are others in here. You've been a Christian for a long time and you have lost your way. You have taken this standard, God's standard, and you've morphed it and merged it with the standard of the world. And there's parts of your life that do not align with this book. This would be a good day to start that over again. I want you to bow your heads. We'll pray. Lord God, I come to you. I thank you so much for being so much love that I can't even imagine that you would choose to wrap yourself in flesh, to come down here on this broken globe, to spread your arms and cross your feet, to be crucified as a criminal on a cross. I thank you, God, that the perfection of the blood of Jesus was poured out to pay the ransom for people held captive by the enemy in sin, of which I was one. God, I believe today there may be others who are in that place today and I want you to set them free. God, I'm asking that you would convict their heart with love.
that you would tenderly and mercifully invite them into your forever family and that they could leave behind the guilt and the shame and the separation and they could walk into your presence forever. And God, for those of us who are already born again, help us recommit our lives to your standard because that is where life and blessing flows. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.